Listening to the flip side with Noah Filipiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grit of life. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Noah Filipiak or at noahfilipiak.com slash give. Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 37 of the Flip Side Podcast. So glad you're here. However you found the flip side, whoever told you about it, thank you for joining us. Go ahead and subscribe if you have not already. This will not be the last flip side episode. The flip side is going strong, and I hope you are as well. If you missed any recent episodes, encourage you to check those out. We've had some awesome interviews. There's not going to be an interview today. Flipside likes to mix it up a little bit. Sometimes we have an interview. Sometimes we just tackle a topic. Uh, but last episode, I interviewed David Swanson, the author of Rediscipling the White Church. Encourage you to check out that awesome interview on race and racism and the church. Episode 35, I, episode, I episoded, that's not a verb, I interviewed Kevin DeVries. He is the leader of Grace Explorations. And he died for 15 minutes and saw Jesus who talked to him and he came back to life. Not many people have that story, so check that out. Two episodes ago and three episodes ago, episode 34, I interviewed Todd A. Wilson on his book, Mere Sexuality. We had a great conversation about sexuality, uh, the struggles of sexual sin for guys like me that are heterosexual, and we also got into talking about uh, same-sex attraction, LGBTQ, and what that looks like for followers of Jesus. So check that out. And segue, what's super cool about that interview is it was a book club that we did here on the flip side, kind of a joint uh, flip side plus noahfilippiak.com. That's my blog uh, book club. And we're going to be doing another one. And so what we did with Todd's book, Mere Sexuality, is I gave you the opportunity. I used uh, a blog to do that and said, hey, if you want to be in the book club, just basically sign up below. And then my commitment to you is I'm going to make a read a section of the book and make a response and then you reply to my response and then at the end I'm going to interview the author and you get to ask questions that you might have for the author so a cool opportunity that you wouldn't normally get and as I was interviewing Todd he and I are both straight uh, pastors and we're talking about LGBTQ sort of questions and how it relates to those that that are struggling with their attractions and orientations as well as how it relates to pastors and churches and and how to disciple and and guide people in these things. And it actually came up in the interview, if you listen to it, uh, it was something he was quoting from Wesley Hill and Wesley Hill uh, would, and again, we'll talk about this. I'll talk about this in the future uh, interview that I'm alluding to. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing Wesley Hill coming up in January, and we'll talk to him about why some people like the the title or the uh, label. I don't, I don't know what word to use. The label, uh, same sex attraction, same sex attracted, and while others use the label that they are a gay Christian or a lesbian Christian, and we'll talk about those too. There's, there's, I think, valid points on either side. 
And uh, often that can be a conversation killer even in this. So try to avoid that uh, for this this part of the conversation. But Wesley, uh, he would refer to himself as a gay Christian and he is a celibate gay Christian. And you go, well, wow, celibate. That means committed to not having sex. And he, he Wesley has been... a a leader, uh, the I, at least in my little you know corner of the world, the first person that I that I heard speak about this as a celibate gay or celibate same sex attracted uh, Christian. Uh, his book "Washed and Waiting" is a fantastic book. It's it's sort of his his life story book. It's the kind of go to book if you're or one of the go to books, maybe the first go to book, uh, at least again in my little world. Uh, as far as, hey, if you're a Christian and you're struggling with same-sex attraction or orientation, uh, read this book. And so that is not the book that we're going to do as our next book club book, but I am interviewing Wesley, and I would encourage you to to read or listen to an audiobook, Washed and Waiting, prior to that interview. The book that we are going to do as our next book club on the flip side, and this is your first official invite to join the book club, is on Wesley's book, Spiritual Friendship. And Spiritual Friendship is this book that Todd was was quoting in, in his book and, and kind of talking about this, this issue of, hey, if you're gay or same-sex attracted and, and the, the again, I, I, I don't like labels. You could call it the conservative church or, or maybe the the biblical church, the high view of scripture church uh, says, you know, marriage is, and uh, is, and this would be my view, uh, marriage is defined by God and sex is defined by God in the Bible as between a man and a woman. And yet you have people like Wesley and many, many others who are attracted to the same sex and they have tried to change and pray that away and you know wash and waiting gets into that journey for Wesley and it doesn't go away. So what do you do with that? And for some they're able to have what's called a mixed orientation marriage where they're able to marry, you know, someone of the uh, a, a man's able to marry a woman and or or vice versa and and we'll talk about some of that with Wesley and, and in future episodes as well. But there's many, many, many that end up like Wesley and some of you listening who, uh, who thank you for listening and are on this journey, this really hard journey where there's very few roads paved by the church, particularly paved by the, the conservative or the high view of scripture church that says, um, there, and, and there's some who still would say, we have to change you. You can be changed from being gay to straight or homosexual to heterosexual. Uh, I don't espouse to that view. I think there are some who, who are in a place where they have a choice in the matter, but there's many, many others uh, like Wesley, like my friend Jim, who I've uh, many blog posts written with and sermons in, and, and Jim really helped me, was really my first friend that helped me realize, wow, you found this out when you were seven. My kids are seven and eight, right? And 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 there's and ever since then, you've been trying to pray it away and change, and have gone to these conversion therapies, and and it ended up just piling on piles and piles and piles of shame. Uh, and but the point is, at the end of the day, uh, my argument, this would be Wesley's argument, Jim's argument, and, and I think I can make a pretty good biblical argument that the Bible talks about the act of sex being sinful, that you make a choice. That's the choice you have is you, you choose who you have sex with. 
Uh, but the attraction itself would be similar to my attraction to women outside of my wife, right? So I'm married, I love my wife, but I I'm still have attraction to other women. Other All other women don't become ugly to me or unattractive to me uh, just because I got married. And there's women I'm attracted to and I... I would like to not be attracted to them. It would make things a lot easier, but I have to make a choice what to do with that attraction. And hopefully if you've been listening to the flip side long enough or you've read Beyond the Battle, you know you know exactly what I'm talking about. If not, feel free to interact with me on that. You can always email the show podcast at beyondthebattle.net and I'd love to interact with you more. But that leaves people like Wesley then to go, okay, so I'm going to be single, celibate the rest of my life, which in the church doesn't have much to offer in the area of community for anybody single in the church, whether uh, gay or straight. Again, I, I only say, uh, and kind of stutter because I don't, I don't know always the, whatever label you use, someone can be hurt or offended or misunderstand. So I try to use all of them in, in hopes of, of kind of covering, covering the basis. But whatever your, your orientation or attraction is, uh, gay or straight, the, single, the church does a very poor job of creating community for singles. And the first chapter of Beyond the Battle is written to singles. And it's, I'm, it's my attempt to redeem what it means to be single uh, within the church. Certainly, and in, in, in the updated edition of Beyond the Battle, I have a page dedicated specifically to my brothers who struggle with same-sex attraction. Again, it's a book written to men. And so, um, welcoming you into into this conversation and, and a place for you in the church and at the table. So, but, it, but often our, our answer of, okay, so you have to be single, celibate the rest of your life, means a, a life of loneliness and a life of you know, when I'm 50 years old and my parents are dead and gone, who am I going to spend Christmas with? Who who do I have to talk to at the end of the day about how my day went? And there's nothing sexual, you know, desired or needed within this. It's just a matter of friendship. It's a matter of community. And there's relational intimacy. There's intimacy that Jesus had and Jesus modeled single guy, celibate guy, right? That he modeled and we, we don't make that type of intimacy available to singles in the church. So that's what Wesley's entire book is about. If you couldn't tell already, it's a bit controversial. Again, he's staying within the high view of scripture world. It's it's I think easy to go over to the other the other worldview that uh, which is like a low view of scripture that says um, you know uh, these relationships are these sexual relationships are okay that 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 you know God's uh, you know biblically kind of this argument in the church it's that that these things are okay and and that's not. I'm not here weighing that argument versus this one. I'm saying when you're like Wesley and you're in the camp, in the worldview, having a high view of scripture saying God's design for sex is within a man and a woman, he's making an argument for what he calls spiritual friendship. So that's what our book club is going to be about. I invite you to join. It's a short book. There's six chapters. We're going to tackle... Uh, two chapters at a time. So there will basically be three homework assignments. Your first homework assignment will be due on my blog, uh, noahflipiak.com, on November 15th. So this podcast episode is being published in late October. That gives you anywhere from two to three weeks uh, to get signed up and get your 
your assignment in, reading the first two chapters, and if we need to, we can we can push that back as well. But you can look at the show notes of this episode to get signed up. And then in January, I'll be interviewing Wesley on the podcast for you if you were in the book club, to be able to submit the questions you have. You're allowed to read the book and disagree. You're allowed to give arguments from from any side of the spectrum, the side A side, the side B side. Uh, th- there's, the, there's the side sort of outside of Christianity altogether. And these are all questions I'm telling you. If there's an expert in this field, uh, Wesley might be it. As someone who's walked this path a very long time, and who has had many, many, many uh, conversations in this area. It's a conversation that I'm really, really excited about to bring to the podcast. Uh, Wesley is the Associate Professor of New Testament at the Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge, Pennsylvania. And so he is a smart, smart dude, knows the Bible inside and out, way smarter than me. And so uh, he, he can handle your questions. And so I encourage you to bring those questions. Uh, before we jump into the topic of today, uh, that brings me about talking about questions. Uh, just a quick update. This, there's a question that I've, I've brought up on the podcast before. It's about masturbation. And I did a podcast episode on this, I think episode three of the flip side, because it comes in semi-frequently into the mailbag and from readers of Beyond the Battle, because I don't talk about masturbation in the book. And I've, I've been meaning to and planning on writing an extensive sort of in-depth blog article on masturbation. And some of you have been waiting on that. And I have finally written that and posted it today. So it's up on the blog. You can go to noaflipiak.com and you will find under the blog, uh, is masturbation a sin? And so check that out. If that's a question you've been asking, I would love your interaction there on the blog. Or again, you can email the podcast, podcast at beyondthebattle.net. And if you have really good feedback and things to add to that article, let me know, put them in the comments and I will edit and change the article. Uh, in the updated edition of Beyond the Battle, I, I put that link into the book as, hey, if you want to talk or learn about masturbation, go here. And so what's cool about a blog is you we can change it. We can make it better. And I would love uh, for you to jump in and help uh, make that blog better. So uh, next, without further ado, I, I, I used that, <laughs> use that last time. I need to stop saying without further ado. But there is going to be a Noah's rant today at the end. So which much applause. I need a, I'm going to add a, a, a drop of applause, a sound effect of applause. We'll have that next time for you because we know there's a standing ovation in all of you. Uh, if you're working out at the gym and, and you're on the treadmill or you're driving in your car and you hear me say, there will be a Noah's rant, you stop and you clap and you give a you give a, a loud cheer and everyone looks at you and you say, good news, friend, there will be a Noah's rant today. And, and then they say, yes, I, I was hoping for that when I woke up this morning and the whole gym or everyone in your carpool also starts uh, applauding, I guess... You wouldn't be in a carpool unless you were listening on AirPods or ear, you know, earbud headphones. Then you could you could do that. There will be a Noah's rant today. Uh, after uh, what's next, and what's next is going to be a teaching, a sermon, so to speak, that I did uh, finally post COVID. I I love preaching, 
And in, in my next season of ministry, I'll be back to preaching regularly again. Uh, so if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I like to add in sermons here and there. And not sure what I'll do when I'm preaching regularly again uh, for a church, if, if I will continue to put all of them on the flip side or not. Uh, but they do get good what's the word I'm looking for? You give good feedback on it. It seems like you like the sermons when uh, kind of periodically they get peppered into the podcast. So so this sermon is one that I did a couple weeks ago, and this is for our young adult ministry at Ada Bible Church. It's a large young adult ministry. Uh, it's sort of like a small church, and we've. I'm not in charge of the ministry. I'm sort of, uh, I'm the small group pastor, so I'm the the uh, support for the pastor of the young adult ministry, but I get to preach about once a month. And I've been getting to do a lot of guest preaching as well on Sundays, and I have just been absolutely loving that. So we'll have some of that guest preaching stuff in future episodes. But for this one, we've been going through a series in the book of Mark. And this was a text that was just given to me, uh, assigned to me. It's, it's Mark 4, 35 to 39, where Jesus calms the storm. And what I really, really liked about this, this teaching, and, and as God spoke to me, I mean, the, when I, I love preaching because it's God talks to me and, and, you know, for my own soul, just my own spiritual formation. And what really hit me about this, and I hope it hits you as well, is we are dealing with a lot of stuff right now, a lot of storm sort of situations. Coronavirus, the election is coming up in just a couple of weeks. The election feels like it's just ripping our our culture apart at the seams. You know, my heart is very heavy uh, for racial justice, and there's the, the amount of racism and racial injustice in our country. And may, maybe the subject of sexuality that I mentioned earlier is a subject for you that is just ripping you apart. And what I love about this passage and what Mark does with this passage is it it's, it's hard for me even to put into words, which is funny because I, I preach on it with many, many words, but God has given me a certain calmness about his authority over all things. And it doesn't mean the storm is going to end or change or get better, but it's this idea that no matter what gets thrown our way, even the very worst things that get thrown our way, we can rest, truly rest. And knowing that Jesus wins and we're on his side, and I think I mentioned this in the sermon, but can you imagine going through this world of this world of chaos and being alone in it, trying to cr- come up with your own your own victory, your own solution, uh, do, just being totally isolated in your own strength and your own power? I can't imagine that. My peace and my peace of mind comes from knowing that Jesus won the victory, and I'm on his team. Oh, it's just, it's so deep. It's something I can come back to in my my daily rhythm time with Jesus and, and meditate on and have him speak to me, his love over me and his power. It's really about his power. So now I'm preaching at you. Well, what's the point of that? Because you're about to listen to a sermon. So uh, I I hope you can quiet yourself and, and hear uh, the Holy Spirit speaking to you through Mark 4, 35 to 39. And when the sermon is over, I will be back with the one, the only, Noah's Rant. But before we get all silly and goofy with Noah's Rant, uh, let's hear what God may have to say uh, to you as you as you listen to uh, this teaching on Mark 4, 35 through 39. So to begin, I want to tell you a little bit about my kids. 
uh, you'll see their picture up on the screen. Uh, I got three girls. Uh, Lexi over there on the right, she's eight. Sage over on the left is seven. And Brooklyn in the middle is three. My kids are in what you could call the age of fears. So they're scared of everything. <laughs> um, some of their fears are legitimate. Most of them are not. So, you know, they're afraid of the dark. They're afraid of monsters in their room. And when I say they're afraid of monsters, I don't mean they watched a movie with monsters and got scared. I mean they literally think there are monsters living in their closets uh, under their bed. Uh, my oldest, she is afraid of guest teachers, or as we called them back in the day, substitute teachers. She literally worries herself sick on a day she has a substitute teacher. Uh, we got a call from the school once that we were supposed to pick her up because she was sick, and we told them, no, she will stay at school. Uh, she just doesn't want to have a substitute teacher. Now, for me, when it comes to fears, you did your icebreaker and you asked about if you like scary movies, if you like haunted houses. How many of you are, are oh yeah, scary movies, haunted house people? Let's see your hands. Let's see your hands, okay? A few. How many of you are, no way, no way, I'm, I'm good. Okay, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. I hate scary movies. I hate haunted houses. Do you know why? Because I hate being scared, right? I, I, I like the nice emotions, and I don't want to pay $10 to go to a movie that's going to make me scared. I have enough uh, hard things in my life. I'd like to go to a movie that makes me happy and has a nice ending, and I can, I can have a good time at. I don't know about you. Some of you, you just get entertained by causing pain to yourself, and I don't understand you. But I don't like scary movies, I don't like haunted houses, but I do know, those of you that do like those things, I know that you know those things aren't real. And that's partially why you're entertained by them. You know they're not real. You know the, the monsters or the killers or whatever it is, the little animated doll that walks around in the middle of the night. You know that that's not going to actually be in your house when you go home at night. You can separate those two things. Now back to being a dad with my girls, I know for sure that they are completely safe at night. I can tell you, without a doubt, there's no monsters in their closet. I can tell you there's nothing in the dark for them to be afraid of. So when they come to me with that fear and worry, it changes how I parent them, right? I say, no, there's nothing to be scared of. Go back to bed. And you know, we try to reassure them and get them to sleep and all those sorts of things. But if my three daughters were attempting to sleep out in the woods, in the middle of the night, up in the Upper Peninsula, where there's packs of wolves, literally, in the middle of the night. They like to eat children, like Little Red Riding Hood. I think that's where those stories come from. Then I would have reason, as a parent, to be concerned, right? That would be a real fear. If my kids were scared of the packs of wolves, I'd be a terrible parent if I said, oh, there's nothing to worry about. There would be a very real thing to worry about. And I would need to parent accordingly to protect my kids from that fear. So, um, tonight, we are talking about a passage that has to do with fear. Before we jump into the passage, actually, I'm trying to, there we go. Uh, we're going to have you turn to the passage, text the words, uh, Ada Union Passage, if you want it to show up on your phone, but you're going to read it 
in your group together. So it's Mark 4, 35 to 41. We have our Ada Bible Fall Journals, and it is on page 43 in your journal. There's a pile of journals out that door and out that door. If you would like one of these, take it home with you, and you can follow along with all the union teachings and the Ada Bible Sunday morning teachings, which is pretty awesome. So uh, open up to Mark 4, and we're going to give you five minutes in your group to go over these questions. So question number one, read Mark 4, 35 to 41, out loud, and the question is, where do you see fear in this passage? Question number two, why would Mark include this story when writing to persecuted Christians who are dying for their faith? So Mark wrote this whole book of Mark partially to persecuted Christians who are dying for their faith. Why might he include this story to them? Five minutes, and I'll see you then. So next, I'm going to read the text that you just read. This is in the ESV. It'll sound a little bit different than the NIV, which I gave you. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, and, uh, and leaving the crowd they took him uh, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, when you read this passage, what seems like the message of the passage is not the message of the passage. So I, I, I mean no disrespect, because this seems to be the message of the passage, but we're, we're going to find out is that it's not. It seems that the message of the passage is, hey, there's a storm, the disciples are scared, they're about to die, they call out to Jesus, he calms their storm. So, preach uh, sermon application for you. When you have a storm in your life, cry out to Jesus. He'll fix the storm, and everything will be okay. That's not the message of this passage. And here's a few reasons why I can say that. First and foremost, our very lives, my very life and your very life. I have storms in my life. You have storms in your life. I cry out to Jesus. Often the storms continue. I've had friends die in car accidents. I've had friends die of cancer. I've had many prayers answered, uh, asked that have not been answered in the way that I wanted. If we went around this room, we could all share stories like that where we had a storm and we cried out to Jesus and the storm wasn't calm. So I, I can say at least from my own life examples and from looking at the brokenness of the world around me and the amount of sorrow that's in the world, that that's not the message of this passage. The second reason that I know that that's not the message of this passage, we'll do a quick game show trivia question for you. Uh, maybe talk about this in your groups and, and see if you can come up with an answer. What do you think was the average lifespan 
of someone in the first century Roman Empire. So don't look it up. Just what do you think first century Roman Empire average lifespan? What do you think? Shout out a few answers. 35, late 30s, 40. What else? 35. Okay. The answer, and I, I might have just heard it, the answer is 25 years old. 25 years old. So the average lifespan in the first century, 25 years old in the Roman Empire. Now, that includes uh, infant mortality rate. So many, many people died as infants or before the age of 10. So you certainly could live past 25. If you made it past 10, you were likely to make it to 40 or 50 or, or even older. But many, many people died uh, at birth. Children died, mothers died, and many, many didn't make it past 10 years old. And if that's your reality, there's just as much pain See, I can't imagine, a li- see, in our culture, death happens, but we don't live like death happens. Does that make sense? We sort of all live like we're going to be 100, and we all treat Jesus like we're going to be a 100. Yeah, I'll get to that later, because I'm going to live to be 100. I'm going to live for now, though, now. I'm going to do me. I'm going to, you only live once, you know. Uh, someday I'll get to that when I'm older. We live like death doesn't ever happen. In the first century, there's no way that would have been an option. Everybody you knew would have known someone very close to them that would have died at a very young age. If you were a parent, you were almost guaranteed to have children that would have died at very young ages. That certainly still happens today, and it is very, very tragic when it happens, but it would have been normal and the regular thing that happened in the first century. And so I know that this passage in the first century, when Mark wrote this, Jesus did this, and then Mark is now using it to help the church. His point was not that Jesus calmed this storm, so he'll calm every storm. And even very practically, if you were a fisherman and you read the story or you heard uh, the letter of Mark taught about, you wouldn't hear the story and go, oh, I can go on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a storm and pray to Jesus and everything will be fine. Fishermen still died on the Sea of Galilee after this story was taught. So, What I want to do next is give you, kind of put you in the story. So up on the screen is a picture of a first century fishing vessel that was found in the bottom of the Sea of Galilee in the year 1986. So this is on display in a museum in Israel today, and this very likely was the exact or very similar type of, not the exact boat of Jesus, but the exact type of boat that Jesus and his disciples would have been in. Now, a little bit about this boat. It doesn't look very big in the picture, does it? (laughs) Uh, You can see up on the the wall a little bit of the museum, they have kind of a holograph, looks like picture of what the boat actually looked like. This boat was 27, is 27 feet long and uh, seven and a half feet wide. So, What we did is we measured the stage and we found that from this step here over to this step here is 27 feet and from the front of the stage up to this step is seven and a half feet. Now, I need, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, how many in your group? Eight, did I count that right? Do I know how to count? Eight, 
All eight of you come up here. I'm nine, and I need four more, so you front four here come up on stage. Okay, you've been voluntold. Let's give our voluntolders a hand. Okay, come up on stage. I'm not gonna make you talk. All right. This is what this boat would have looked and felt like for Jesus and his 12 disciples. There's 13 of us. Not very well socially distant, are we? Good thing you all are wearing your masks. Good job. Now we're going on the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee, some stats up on the screen, 13 miles by eight miles. That's 104 square miles. Grand Rapids is 45 square miles, so it's like two and a half Grand Rapids is in size and 141 feet deep. There's a huge storm. This boat that we're in, is this a big boat? No. <laughs> this is a little boat. And a lake that big, you can get some massive waves. We are literally in fear for our life right now. And by the way, let's say I'm Jesus, I'm in the back of the boat, I'm over here sleeping like this. As you all are scared for your life, right? All right, let's give our voluntolders a hand. You guys can head off of the stage. I'll get out of your way. I want to give you a picture of how small of quarters that would have been. These people literally would have been on top of each other with that one, you know, that one mass that you see there trying to survive. They're literally their lives are on the line and they're crying out and Jesus in the back of the boat is asleep. I wish I could sleep like that. <laughs> uh, there's way more going on in this passage than there's a storm and Jesus calmed it and he'll calm all your storms. Mark was writing his letter, as I mentioned in the discussion questions, to persecuted Christians in Rome. Now, in 60, the year 64 in Rome, the Caesar, Emperor Nero, he was a maniac, and he set a huge fire in Rome. It burned for days and days and days. He did it himself, and guess who he blamed? Christians. So follow that. The emperor burned down his own city, blamed the Christians, so that Christians could be killed and tortured. You follow me? That was in 64 AD. That very likely could have been the catalyst event that caused Mark to write the book of Mark because the book of Mark was written very shortly after that event. So the original writers of this book, very likely, the original readers, I'm sorry, the original re recipients, very likely had dead family members, had dead friends, that had been killed and tortured by the Romans. Maybe in the Colosseum, maybe in other public spectacles. Mark is giving us way more than a story about a storm. So in the Bible, the ocean, the sea, it represented evil. It represented chaos. Not only in the Bible, but in all ancient Near Eastern cultures. You can go back to ancient Near Eastern cultures' origin stories and their myth stories, and there's often a sea, and it is raging. Sometimes there's a sea monster, and in their story, the hero or the god conquers the sea. The sea was a terrifying place in the ancient world. And what Jesus does is he tells the sea the, e the ESV says peace. I think the NIV says quiet. Other translations 
Actually, the word in other translations, he says, shut up to the sea. It's the same Greek word he uses in Mark 1 to talk to a demon. He exercises a demon from someone, an evil spirit, and he says to the demon, shut up, because the demon was talking and talking and talking. I wasn't allowed to say shut up growing up. That was a word we weren't allowed to use in my house when I was my kid's age. Here Jesus is, why is he talking to the wind and the waves, and he's saying shut up, quiet, to the wind and to the waves? Because to the disciples and to the readers of Mark, This water represented Satan himself, represented evil. Can our God conquer Satan? Now, I don't know about you, the sea is still terrifying to me. Uh, I I will get in the water, uh, but... I have a picture here on the screen of uh, one of the many reasons that the sea is a terrifying place. Uh, this is not a photoshopped picture. That is a Goliath grouper. And I haven't even heard of a Goliath grouper. There's things in the ocean that you haven't even heard of that will eat you. That's all I, that's all that I know about the ocean. Uh, these can be up to 800 pounds and eight feet long and they eat sharks. So what these scuba divers are doing next to it, I really don't know. There is a great YouTube video you can find of these guys fishing uh, for sharks, and they have a four-foot shark on their, on their fishing rod, and they're all excited. They got a shark, they got a shark, and up from the water, a grouper comes up and eats the shark right off of their hook and swims away, and the guys just lose it. They go, ah, that thing just ate the shark. It's so crazy. And then in, I remember when the comments said, yet another reason never to go in the ocean. And so I, I'm starting to think that the first century, uh, you know, ancient Near Easterners, uh, and, and prior to that in the Old Testament, I think they were on to something. The sea can be a very, very terrifying place. And so Jesus says to the sea, shut up, calm down, and boom, it does. There's a lot more going on here than just him calming a storm. All right, so look back at the text again. And the reason I chose the ESV is because it's a bit more literal with the Greek in three specific spots. That's very uh, Cool. Mark is doing something here really on purpose. Verse 37, 39, and 41. He uses the word great in English here in the ESV three times. The NIV just kind of makes it sound, you know, a little more, uh, a little more illustrated, which is fine, but you miss some of the literary poignancy that Mark was doing. Uh, he says there was a great windstorm, there was a great calm, and there was a great fear. The, uh, can anyone guess? I put a hint on the screen. Uh, what the Greek word for great is. Somebody's got to play Nintendo. Mega! Thank you. That's the classic Mega Man. That was the original Nintendo Mega Man, I think. Maybe Super Nintendo. I don't know. But you guys got to, you know, go back in time and play the original, the original 8-bit video games. If it's not 8-bit, I'm not going to play it. So Mega Man, he was really cool. That's the Greek word for great. So whenever Art Van has a sale, mega Halloween sale. All your furniture's half off. Mega Thanksgiving sale. All your furniture's half off. Like they, whatever their holiday is, that's the sale. It's always mega, 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 mega. That's the Greek word for great. And it's used all throughout the Bible in different ways. And here, Mark is trying to make a point about who Jesus is. He says this windstorm, it was 
mega. It was a mega windstorm. Can you picture a mega windstorm? He says their fear at the end, the disciples' fear, it was mega fear. Have you ever experienced mega fear? And then right in the middle, there was a mega calm after Jesus spoke to this mega windstorm. Verse 31, the passage, uh, sorry, verse 41, the passage ends with a question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know what the answer to that question is? Mark's trying to get us to see. It is mega Jesus. I know it sounds like a Godzilla bad guy. I hope you guys still know who Godzilla is. But he's trying to get us to see that Jesus is the mega, mega. You have a mega windstorm, you have a mega fear, and Jesus is the mega of all the megas. No matter what's going on in your life, it seems really, really big, it seems really, really strong, it seems really, really powerful. Jesus is bigger and stronger and more powerful. He has all of the authority, not over just this windstorm, but over Satan himself over evil itself which the first century audience would have instantly picked up on with this crazy raging storm that Jesus and the disciples found themselves in. So next we're going to send you back to your groups and we're going to give you five minutes to talk about these questions. What are you afraid of that is real and what are you afraid of that isn't? So what are you afraid of that's real? That's the, the woods in the UP at night with the packs of wolves. That's, that's real. And then what is the, the, the monster in the closet scared of the dark? What is it that in your life, talk about that in your group. And then secondly, how can knowing that Jesus, you can bear with me now, go with mega, just, just go with it. Just embrace the mega. How, it, uh, how can knowing that Jesus is more mega than your fears and more mega than even physical danger, how can that help you through the fear and the danger that you experience in your life? So talk about that for five minutes, and then we'll come back. So what we see in Mark 4 is Jesus conquers evil. He conquers evil on the sea. So as we talked about, the sea was a very direct representation of evil. This would have been firmly in their minds. Uh, Chapter 4 of Mark, he uh, calms the sea, tells it to shut up. It shuts up. Jesus defeats evil. Everybody claps. So Jesus has one point. Evil has zero. What's really interesting is, if you go to the next chapter of Mark, it's actually what Brad preached on Uh, I think just last week, about the demoniac man. So Jesus goes up on the shore, and he's now on land, and there's a man possessed by a demon. Remember, he he casts, it's a legion of demons. He casts the legion of demons out. They go into the pigs, and the pigs go where? Back into the sea. So Jesus has conquered Satan on the sea where Satan's lair is. He conquers them, at least in their minds. Um, that, that was the imagery that was happening. He conquers Satan on, on the land. So now Jesus, two points. Satan, zero. Okay, Jesus is winning. This should make us feel good as Christians. And then Mark chapter 6, if you keep reading, 
It's the account where Jesus walks on the water on the Sea of Galilee. And then remember when Peter walks out to him on the water and, it, and then Peter sinks and Jesus rescues him. And it's again Jesus conquering the sea. He's conquering evil. Now it's Jesus three points, evil zero points. We're, we're glad Jesus is winning, right? Evil hasn't scored yet. But you also get this feeling like how does evil keep escaping? It almost feels like a comic book bad guy. You wonder, at the end of every comic book, the good guys win, the bad guys captured or something, but then the bad guy's back again <laughs> the next time there's a comic book or the next time there's a movie, you know, that he has to come back because he got to keep the story going. It starts to feel that way with Satan. As, and as readers are reading this and hearing it for the first time in the first century, they're going, yes, Jesus wins. Yes, he wins. Yes, he wins. But, whew, like... <laughs> Can we just be done with this altogether? There's a, there's a sense in a, in a feeling that there's an ultimate battle looming. That if Jesus is the mega of megas, he's got to be able to do more than just put evil at bay. He's, if Jesus is the mega of megas, the king of kings, the lord of lords, our savior, our messiah, full authority over evil, there's got to be an ultimate battle. And so Mark, he's writing this and you're listening to it for the first time. And again, you're a Christian who's under persecution from Rome and you're wondering, will this persecution ever end? And he's going in Mark and he's going in Mark and what he's leading to is the cross, He's leading to the end of the book of Mark, Mark 15 and 16. Jesus dies on the cross and he conquers sin forever. It's a final victory over sin. And then he raises from the dead. And in raising from the dead, he conquers Satan forever. The victory has been won and Mark is here to Remind us of that. We are celebrating that Jesus wins. That we want the good guys to win and the good guys win. Meanwhile, though, we're still in a fallen, broken world, aren't we? We're still in a world that is full of storms. And the first century audience would have been the same. What Mark's trying to do is remind them and remind us that Jesus has won the final victory over anything that Satan can throw at us. Even if there's an effect in this current fallen world, it doesn't get the final say. All right, so spoiler alert, okay, before I show the next slide, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you how Lord of the Rings ends, okay? The books were written in the 40s and 50s. You've had your chance. The movies came out in the early 2000s. You've had your chance, so if you really don't want to know how Lord of the Rings ends, plug your ears. You can go. I won't be offended. Okay, next slide. The good guys win! In Lord of the Rings, the good guys win. Isn't that awesome? The good guys win. Isn't that a great end of the story? The good guys win. Can you imagine? If uh, Sauron, he's the really bad guy, he's like the Satan-y bad guy, and if he just like picked up Frodo and was like, mm, you look good, and he broke him in half and he ate him and he was like, Bleh. the end, story over. Go tell your friends, go tell them to come, come read this book, watch this movie. Aren't you glad that's not how Lord of the Rings ends? I am. 
This is Lord of the Rings is my favorite story. It's my favorite book. It's my favorite movie. And, and this is the end of the movie. This is this corny scene at the end where there's all this light and, and Frodo just woke up. He was really uh, out of it for a long time because of his journey and, and all the kind of the main characters are there to, to celebrate with him. This is how the Lord of the Rings story ends. So right now I'm reading the Lord of the Rings with my daughter, Lexi. She's eight. She's eight years old. Don't tell her how it ends because she doesn't know. She literally doesn't know. She's only eight. She's never heard of these books before. So at night we do bedtime stories and I read The Hobbit with uh, Lexi and Sage when they were, I don't know, eight and six. So we were hanging in there. The spiders kind of scared Sage a little bit. Uh, So we graduated to Lord of the Rings and I knew my middle child wouldn't be a good idea, but Lexi and I, we're doing it. We read about a page and a half every night, and we're, we're about halfway through the, the trilogy right now, and Lexi doesn't know what's going to happen next. Her perspective of the book is very different than mine. I know that the good guys win. She doesn't know that the good guys win. So whenever a storm comes in the book, she wonders, are the good guys all going to die? There's a character in the, in the story, uh, one of the main characters named Gandalf, and he, he kind of falls away in the first book, and, and, and you're meant to think that he dies. And a lot of the characters think he's dead, and, and he comes back later. He comes back. My daughter doesn't know that, so don't tell her. And I have to keep playing it up like, oh, yeah, poor, shucks that Gandalf's gone. I can't wait till we get to that point. And, and she realizes he's alive, and, and she's going to be so excited, right? It's a totally different perspective. I know what happens at the end. I know the good guys win. And so when the storms come, there's a little tension still, a little bit of battle. There's battle happening. It's real. And there's pain in those stories. And there's even characters who die along the way. But you know that the good guys win in the end. That's what Mark's trying to do to the readers of the book of Mark. He's saying Jesus wins in the end. And you know what the final scene looks like. Jesus destroyed Sin and death on the cross and the empty tomb. And there's a day coming when Jesus comes back. And that's the end of the movie, okay? That's literally when the movie ends. Right now, we know how it ends. We know that we win. We're in the middle of the movie, though, still. But we've seen it before. The spoiler alert was given to us. Jesus has conquered evil. He has conquered every single storm. He is the mega of megas. Now, he asks his disciples a hard and legitimate question in this passage. It stings a little, doesn't it? He says, where's your faith? Why, why are you still doubting? It's a legitimate question we have to wrestle with. But think of the grace that goes with it to us. The disciples were with Jesus for three years. Like, literally. Remember that boat we had all these people up here? They just did that with Jesus all the time. Think about the doubts you have in your faith. And now think, what if Jesus just walked with you for three years? He went to class with you. He went to your job with you. He went to church with you. He, wherever, wherever you went, he went. Or wherever he went, you went. You, wouldn't you think every one of your doubts would be answered? You could ask him anything you wanted. He'd be healing people left and right. Everything would be taken care of. And yet at the end of three years like that, and they're in the middle of it here, they have these incredible doubts still about who he is. And so for you and I, 
I think we can cut ourselves a little bit of slack because we are reminded of what Jesus has done. The disciples actually got to experience Jesus in the flesh for three years. So those fears are still going to come. They still come for me. The insecurities come. They still come for me. The anxieties come. They still come for me. But let those fears, let the storms, let the pain draw you back to Jesus. Let it draw you back to the one who is stronger than any pain. Draw, draw you back to the one who's stronger than, than any evil. It's like, there it is again. I'm feeling insecure again. I want this girl to like me. I want this guy to like me. I want this job. I need this money. I need this acceptance. There it is again. Do you have that inside of you? It's like a little red flag. There it is again. It's like I'm looking to this person to make me feel whole. Let that draw you back to Jesus. I forget things all the time. Uh, so I write them on my hand. Right now, I have a faded message on my hand from a couple days ago. Some of you get, get tattoos to remind yourself of a Bible verse or maybe a loved one who passed away. So you see it and you're reminded. We take communion at church literally to remember Jesus. He says, do this in remembrance of me. We're gonna, we, we, sing, we sing worship songs. We just did that. You know why? one of the reasons we sing worship songs? To remember that Jesus is the mega of megas. To remember that no matter what we go through, he's with us and he is more powerful and we win. We win. Even in the storm, he draws us back to himself. So I've asked McKenna to come up and we're not gonna sing another worship song, but she's just gonna play a little bit of music in the background. And I'm just going to give you a chance to pray. I want us to close out with a few minutes for you to be able to talk to God. And whatever you're going through, whatever that storm is in your life, it's real. And it might not go away to come back to Jesus and to let him comfort you with his strength and his power and to remember that we know the end of the story. And, and what I love about Jesus is we can always go back to him and be reminded of the end of the story. And the end of the story is with us right now because he is with us right now. So just bow your heads. We're gonna play a little bit of soft music. I'll open us up and then I'm just gonna give you some time to talk to the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this reminder tonight that you are supreme. You are the mega of megas. Whatever pain and suffering is in this room, and it is, it is real, and it is immense. May everyone in this room know that you can handle it. May they know that they are not alone. And I pray that what they're going through and, and the cross that they're carrying, the burden that's on them, I pray that it would bring them back to you. That they would be reminded that we win. Satan doesn't win. Satan doesn't get the last word. And that the war has already been won on the cross and the empty tomb. And now we're just waiting for the end of the movie to play out. Just take this time to talk to Jesus. Listen for his still small voice speaking to you.
Lord, we thank you for the reminder tonight of your power. We think of persecuted Christians around the world. We think of persecuted Christians in the first century that died for their faith. People that read these very words of Mark for the first time, or they heard them read aloud for the first time, and they were encouraged that my God, my Jesus, he conquers evil, he conquers Satan. He says, shut up to Satan, and Satan cowers in fear. And they didn't leave their faith. They walked straight into adversity. They walked straight into the Roman emperor. And they said, we love Jesus. We know the end of the story. We know how the movie ends. God, I pray for everyone in this room. There's some heavy weight that we're carrying. And there's also just the everyday. There's the everyday grind. Our culture tells us we always need more. We need to be prettier. We need to be better. We need to be richer. God, may we be reminded that we've already won. We've got all the riches in you, Jesus. We have your love. We are your sons. We are your daughters. Thank you for that reminder tonight. We love you. May we know we can go from here and always come back to you. Always come back to this place of knowing that we are yours and that we win. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for union. Thank you for everyone here. Amen. Amen. I hope that that is a message you can come back to. I, not, not, not the sermon itself, but the message from Mark 4, the message from Jesus that he is, he's the mega. He's, he's, he's the I am. He's more powerful than anything you're up against. And we can truly rest in that. Even, I mean, I think about those Christians being killed for their faith. I mean, they're literally, they're, they're going to die and they have this peace I'm sure they were scared still, but they had this peace, which is why they held on to their faith. And they had this peace. Jesus is bigger than this death. Jesus is bigger than this suffering. And, and man, I can hold on to that during, during my, my, my struggles and, and in the midst of the chaos. And I hope it helps you to have that to come back to, that anchor point uh, to come back to in your prayer time, in your times of, of speaking with Jesus and allowing him and his Holy Spirit to speak to you. So before we transition over to uh, the, the utter uh, ridiculousness that is Noah's rant, and before I give you the, the preface to uh, turn the podcast off, if you, <laughs> um, before Noah's rant comes on, just a couple quick podcasty things. You can always email the show podcast at beyondthebattle.net for anything that you want to, to talk about, respond to, and a reminder, like I mentioned in the intro, check out the show notes or head over to noahflipiak.com and you'll see uh, links on the blog for the book club to sign up for the Spiritual Friendship Book Club uh, with Wesley Hill and uh, let me know that you're going to be in it. Order the book and start reading. And we'll have our first uh, our first homework assignment, so to speak, will be due 
uh, November 15th. Actually, the more I think about it, we'll probably push that back at least a week to November 21st to or 22nd to give you all a chance uh, to order the book and get started and, and all those sorts of things. So check that out. And uh, without further ado, I just used it again. This is bad as saying like. Speaking of rants that I did on how much everybody says like, next is called Noah's Rant. And this is a part of the show that if, if, you like, if you like things like spirituality, if you like things like maturity, uh, if you like things like intelligence, all, all that's over. All that's done. We're, <laughs> we're done with that. Uh, so if you like those things, I would just encourage you, I'd warn you, I would admonish you to turn the podcast off now for your own good. If you continue listening, it is completely your fault. I have told you, I have warned you not to listen any further. So it, it, without further ado, utter ridiculousness. We like to call it humor. We like to call it Noah's rant. The one and only Noah's rant. Noah's rant. Hey, Flipsiders! Exclamation point. Hey, how are you? Exclamation point. How how are you? Exclamation point. Good. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Have you ever noticed the amount of exclamation points used in texting nowadays so or email so but particularly texting so you know the english language it it evolves it morphs it transforms it changes and it is changing and what's happening is if you've noticed when people text you they'll say hey noah exclamation point hi exclamation point and in an email though oh thanks is another one thanks exclamation point thank you exclamation point and and when i read texts like this i start to hyperventilate when you when you read a conversation with all exclamation points where they don't belong you you begin to not be able to breathe uh, hey, Nick, exclamation point, this is Noah, exclamation point, I hope you're having a good day, exclamation point, this, aren't you glad the sun is shining, exclamation point, I need, I need to go take a nap, I can't even breathe right now, I need someone to give me CPR, just trying to read this text that you sent me, huh, I can't even do Noah's rant right now, I can't even breathe right now. You can't even breathe listening right now. My anxiety level is is escalating right now because of the the grotesque amount of exclamation points that we use in emails. And it's sort of like this. I feel like a non-Christian now when I don't use all exclamation points. If I just were to say, hi, hi, Nick, period, hi, Nick, comma, I think Nick would go, oh, I wonder what's wrong with Noah. He must not like me. He didn't use an exclamation point. He must be mad at me. He must be depressed. He must be having a bad day. He must not be a Christian. <laughs> and the same goes with saying thanks or thank you to someone in a text or email. If you just say thanks, period, or thank you, period, they go, oh, you're not actually thankful. 
That was a grumpy thank you. you. You're not even actually appreciative. In fact, it's getting to the point that one exclamation point isn't even enough to express our thanks. We must write in two or maybe even three exclamation points for someone to really know that we are thankful for the thing that they did to us. It's so bad. You know how iPhones and I don't, Androids probably do this too? They, they, they take things you type, and wow, this is a whole rant in and of itself. For real, I'm cataloging all the words that my iPhone changes that are real words. But the iPhone, if you type in O-M-W, which means on my way, and I would prefer to just write O-M-W. My wife knows what that means. It decides to change it for me to on my way. I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is it changes it not to on my way, but changes it to on my way, <laughs> exclamation point. Why, my wife's not having a baby. I mean, why does she need to know on my way when I'm just coming home from work at my normal time? There's nothing alarming. There's nothing exclaiming about me being on my way to visit, to, to come home. Uh, to see my wife, but my iPhone thinks that I must put an exclamation point after the simple phrase on my way. It's not even my choice anymore to it's to write uh, what I want to write for my punctuation. The artificial intelligence that is taking over the world is taking over my ability to use proper grammar and punctuation. The Flipside Podcast exists, as you know to make the world a better place. It's very important that to understand it's to make the world a better place, not to make the world a better place. <laughs> That's not what the Flipside Podcast exists for. I can't even breathe anymore. There would be no Flipside Podcast if I had to use exclamation points at the end of every sentence. I would run out of oxygen. I would pass out. I would be in a coma. There would be no more Flipside Podcast. And the world would fall into utter ruin without the Flipside being the glue that holds the world together. And more specifically, Noah's rant being the glue that holds the flip side, which holds the world together. So now that the world has heard Noah's rant, to stop using so many exclamation points when it is not needed, the world will be a better place. We can go back to breathing, our heart rates can go back to normal, and here's the thing, I'm not, I'm not anti-exclamation point, I'm not bashing the exclamation point, I'm doing this for the exclamation point. Like the boy who cried wolf. If you cry wolf all the time, then when you need to cry wolf, nobody will pay attention to you. The wolf will eat you and you will die because you cried wolf your whole life and when you needed help, help did not come. If you always use exclamation points, when you really are excited, nobody will know. You will be legitimately excited. And you will exclaim with your exclamation point, your legitimate excitement, and nobody will care. And you will wonder, what is wrong with my friends? What is wrong with my family? Nobody cares that I am exclaiming, that I am legitimately excited. They don't care because you used an exclamation point to describe that you had oatmeal for breakfast this morning. Hey, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? Oatmeal! No, no, <laughs> great. I, wow. You must really like oatmeal. No, I'm just, I just put exclamation points about everything. 
So I'm doing this to redeem the exclamation point. Do you hear my heart? I want the exclamation point to get the exclaiming that it deserves. We, there's a time for mourning, but there's a time for rejoicing. And when it's time to rejoice, we need to rejoice. And when that exclamation point is there, we need to know there is a legitimate reason for the exclamation point that we all can celebrate. The world is now a better place. You're welcome. I know, I know, it's, it's another day, another flip side, another Noah's rant, another day bringing heaven to earth and making the world a better place, just the way Jesus uh, commanded us. So, that concludes another episode, episode 37 of the flip side in the books. Please do subscribe, please do write a nice comment. All of those things are super helpful and they make me so happy, exclamation point. I will see you next time on The Flip Side. The Flip Side with Noah Filipiak is a South Francis Press production. Copyright Noah Filipiak, www.noahfilipiak.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at K Lake Music. Use with permission. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. Yow, yow, dripping in that gall that don't perish. People selling fake, see the green around their belly. Taking refuge in his hand, see his poems, my living quarters. Close them when I'm finished, it's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory, cause you're in or you're out. When you see him in the clouds, you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Pulpit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is what your days. Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? Spirit, put it through the preamp and mix it like a chemist. Put it in the airwaves and hoping that they hear it. If there's some confusion, then I hope you see him clearly. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but sure it's with your gaze is.